Protect. Share. Pro. Cast. Hello, welcome to the AbilityNet Procast. I'm Stephen Scott from RNIB. And I'm Robin Christopherson from AbilityNet. Oh, it's good to be back with you, Robin. Texture Pro 2019, it is a blast. Really good, super high energy, high octane event, definitely. It really is. So much exciting conversation going on about the world of assistive technology, accessible technology. Uh, loads of great people coming together uh, from all around the world, Robin. Absolutely. It's crammed with brains and people being really enthusiastic about doing things in an inclusive way. And that's, of course, what it's all about, isn't it? That it brings people together. It starts conversations that will last long after TechShare Pro 2019. It starts the conversation going and it really does help all of us. I mean, this is what it's all about. And I have to say, it's been quite humbling being here as well, meeting some amazing people. I know you've been enjoying yourself, speaking to, to everyone here. Absolutely. So yeah, it's um, partway through day two here. We've had loads of people coming into our glass box to be interviewed. We're going to bring you some of those this week, some more next. But um, yeah, really, really good. And not only that, we also are going to be joined by our intrepid reporter out on the field, out on the floor at Texture Pro 2019, just outside our glass box with Addy Latif from AbilityNet. I'd say I can see him wandering about, Robin, but uh, we both know that's a lie. <laughs> he'd have to be very close for you, and for me, he'd have to slap me in the face. Pretty much, yeah, I think he'd probably have to do the same to me, and he might enjoy that as well. Um, anyway, uh, tell us about uh, some of the people we're going to be hearing from. Uh, over the course of this broadcast. Well, we're absolutely going to hear from some top-notch people today and we're going to start with Caroline Casey who was actually the keynote speaker. Really amazing person. Um, Very, very inspirational. Are we allowed to say that? Anyway, she is. She's absolutely brilliant. She's the founder of The Valuable 500, which we'll explain a little bit more about later on. Uh, But yeah, this first clip... We hear how she's talking to Stephen here. Stephen's asking her about coming out of the disability closet. It was no accident um, that I didn't know about my sight loss until I was 17 because my parents made a conscious decision uh, when I was very, very young um, that they didn't want me to be, they didn't want my life to be defined by a label or a medical condition. and they knew the world wasn't designed for difference. So they decided to do a human experiment and send me to a normal school and um, see how I did. And I did okay, you know, I, I, survived, I mean, I, I survived it. And so that's, it just self-perpetuated and, and that's how I found out at 17. It's interesting you use the phrase, you came out of the closet. Yeah. Yeah. I've used that myself a yeah. few times, you know, and it's an interesting yeah. comparison to make, isn't it? Yeah. Because you're admitting to people. Um, is it perhaps different for us in the sense that if you're coming out of the closet, say, as someone who's gay, yeah. you might not need to do that every day of your life yeah. with people. Yeah. Whereas if you're visually impaired, you kind of do, don't you? You have to tell the world every day because the next person you meet doesn't know and the next person you meet doesn't yeah. know. That's, I mean, we were, it's one of the hardest things um, And I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but because I don't look like I have a vision impairment, 
at all and I don't behave like that at all unless you see me walking into glass doors or falling down steps or coming out of the gents toilets and all the usual things that happen with somebody who's visually impaired you know and that happens all the time because you know I have just about two feet vision and everything beyond that's very blurry and I walk around in really high heels and the first thing I'm often asked is you're visually impaired and you wear high heels and I'm like uh, yeah like why would I not wear high heels so this coming out process that you talk about it nearly has to happen every day and sometimes five or six times a day. And so it's very hard because you, I'm Caroline, right? You're Stephen. I don't know, I'm Caroline, the visually impaired girl. So, so in a way, I, when I finally owned my cane, right? When I, when I got my cane, it took away a lot of the questions and, uh, and I know that sounds really strange, but it's sometimes when I was in the hiding phase of, I used to really wish that it, my eyesight was worst. Does that make sense? Because then people would know and I wouldn't have to explain and I wouldn't have to justify or be so frightened that I was looking like I was trying to get attention from you. Um, and for me, my biggest issue around my acceptance of my sight is um, lack of confidence and lack of... Uh, my, I'm such an independent spirit. Like I am a rebel. Like there's no, I mean, I am a rebel, a rebel woman. So th this independence piece was really hard. Uh, asking for help was really hard. Now, this is such a brilliant interview. I mean, a flavour of what Caroline's likes coming across there. She really whole, uh, wears her heart on her sleeve. Mm. It's absolutely brilliant. Everyone that we spoke about um, afterwards, you know, referred back to her and how inspirational she was. Now, what she's trying to do with the Valuable 500 is sign up 500 organisations in a year by Davos next year um, to commit to disability inclusion at the at all levels by getting a, a CEO to sign. So she's trying to sign up 500 CEOs to say, yes, we're going to talk about disability at the boardroom, at C-level meetings, you know, at, at the highest level. Um, and, you know, she's she's kind of driven. She's doing this herself. But at the same time, she's admitting to all these kind of weaknesses. And she's, you know, the bit that we'll look at, we'll hear now. So the conversation turned to tech and you asked her about, you know, the, the power of tech and, you know, how does she feel about tech? And she actually admitted to being terrified of tech. The fear that I've had over technology stopped me moving forward. It's the same fear that exists in CEOs and business. And so if I want to get them to come to my side, well, I better start uh -huh. facing my fear. So we carry on. Um, this is a final little clip from a much longer interview that will obviously go into the, fear, uh, into the feed very soon, guys. And um, you asked her, Stephen, about what um, success would look like to her. Success looks like to me that disability is part of normal. It's a normal part of humanity. It is a normal part of business that we are not having valuable 500s. We're not having Caroline Casey speaking. We are, we are talking about inclusion and we're talking about accessibility for all. We're talking about design for all. We are not talking about disability. And that it is part of everything that we do in the same way, I don't know, that we breathe air. Wouldn't that be amazing? And that I am not around. That is what success looks like for me anyway. Caroline, it's been great having you on the show today. I think a lot of people will uh, be inspired by hearing your story because I think the acknowledgement 
of the challenges, uh, especially by someone who has risen to such success, I think will we'll play very well with people, will we'll really resonate with people who are sitting at home listening, thinking or watching, thinking, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if this is something I could ever achieve or could I ever achieve much. I think people will, will, will take from what you've well, said that they can. Well, all I'd say is, to end on my father, is be yourself and everyone else is taken. Every one of us has a unique and separate journey. Mm. And my question is, you only get one go at this. You actually, if you go inside yourself and hear what it is that you uniquely want to do, oh, just try. Just try. Quite a remarkable woman, Robin. Oh, man, the interview that you had with her was fabulous and people should definitely listen to the whole of that. She's, you know, one in a million. She's absolutely brilliant. And I've got no doubt at all that she is going to meet her target there. So, yeah, really, really good. Um, brilliant, you know, start to the event for us to be able to interview her after her keynote. So, yeah, check that one out. And don't forget the full interview coming to the Texture Procast feed very soon. Okay, now I think Addy is out on the floor, Robin. He has managed to corner someone to uh, find out their thoughts on how Texture Pro is going for them so far. Hello, can you just tell me your name and where you're from and how you're finding today? So my name is Shilpi Kapoor. I'm the CEO of Barrier Break. We're based out of India, Mumbai. Um, what does Barrier Break do, actually? So Barrier Break is an accessibility consulting firm. Uh, we do testing, document remediation, inclusive design practice, uh, strategy for companies, and help them become more in- inclusive in the digital space. In a very small nutshell. Sounds, uh, sounds like you do a lot, Shilpi. Yes, we do. We, we love that uh, 70% of our team is people with disabilities. And uh, we're about 230 of us today, so it is exciting. I love the way it's uh, 70%, so you're actually, uh, you're, you're, um, you've got more people with disabilities than in the general population, right? Yes, so we, we do. We usually say like 20% of the population is disabled. If you look at the workplace, it might be 2% of people, but you've got 70. That's, that's incredible. And what's also amazing is it's across all disability types. Yeah. So you have uh, deaf people, visually impaired, blind, autism, physically challenged, everybody working together. And that, that's what's, what's lovely about it. And how are you finding Texture Pro? Well, is I quite love it. This is my... Um, interestingly, we used to do Texture India right. till 2016. So it's great to be a Texture Pro. Oh, fantastic. Um, we've, we've carried the mantle forward then. You all have, you all have. I think the content has been brilliant this morning, and I think, uh, you know, from yesterday, yours and Jenison's talk, um, and uh, this morning, I think, Haben has been fabulous to, to hear. Um, I think these are the the most amazing things when you come to events like this. You can learn technical stuff everywhere or online, but it's these kind of interactions that uh, make TechShare Pro quite unique. Uh, well, thank you, Sophie. Anytime. Thank you so much. He sounds like he's enjoying himself, Robin. Yeah, Addy will hopefully grab more people throughout the day, but um, brilliant. So next, we are going to go over to Jenny Lay Flurry. She's the Chief Accessibility Officer at Microsoft. She wasn't able to be present at the event herself, but from over the pond, she has sent a video presentation and we're going to bring the audio of that to you now. 
So hi there, I'm Jenny Leigh-Flurry. I'm the Chief Accessibility Officer at Microsoft. I'm deeply sorry for not being there. Um, I know you're, the, you're having just an amazing day, um, but I have been asked to pop a few thoughts on camera as to just advice points um, and learning that we've had on accessibility. And I'd really, it's such a fascinating industry to be in at this time. I think it's a very exciting time. If there are kind of to encapsulate a little bit of our approach and synthesize it into a couple of key things and learnings, I'd really say, firstly, lean into your people. If there's any learning that we've had from the journey that we've had at Microsoft, it's that if you don't lean into your people, you miss out on an amazing amount of expertise and wisdom that helps you to prioritize and build amazing, crazy products. Uh, my journey into this is that I joined the disability uh, group, I enjoyed the deaf group first about 15 years ago when I came to London to work on Hotmail. Um, I still have a Hotmail account, but by joining the deaf group, I then got into the blind group and every other part of the disability group and actually formed and chaired the disability ERG and really learned in many ways a lot of what I, I know on accessibility through that. It was through listening to people, building a better understanding. That disability community 2005 was six groups. Um, it's now 20 different groups. Um, and our annual conference, which is not just the ERG, but really brings together all the experts on accessibility around the company. We had 2,500 people at, uh, in May this year. It'll be our 10th anniversary next year. So we've definitely realized that if you empower people to self-identify, um, understanding that a lot of disability is invisible, about 70% of it, you really get a massive asset um, and that asset is expertise so one is really just build your community um, of people and not just within the disability sort of employee sector but also within your accessibility community as well uh, we have an accessibility leadership team uh, you know, my team is small mighty p and sort of incredibly powerful of course um, but more important is how it works across the company I don't create Windows code. Um, so there are leaders across the company and then champ communities that sort of span out from that. You've got to have both um, to really create an ecosystem. And I guess that's the second point. This is an ecosystem. It's also a business that needs to be managed. And if you can't measure, you can't manage. So the other key area that we've learned is to think about this as an operation. Um, I do have a methodical sort of rhythm to it within Microsoft whereby we pull and, and sort of measure all of our products both digital and physical on a quarterly basis and we have that rhythm with our senior leadership team which is deeply invested in accessibility. I don't have to convince them as to why accessibility is important which is a very privileged position, something we've worked very hard at and we've not always had by the way. Um, but what it does mean is that if you think about accessibility and, and compliance as a minimum bar, we look at how good or bad we are in different areas. We prioritize engineering resources and bug lists and to make sure that we're going to deliver on what people want and need. Um, and so really just making sure that you're managing this in the same way as in any corporate infrastructure you would with privacy or security. Uh, and clearly from a, a charity and advocacy perspective, you are vital to that um, because as much as we invest in our people internally, we invest in our strategic and partnerships with uh, non-profits and charities around the world. 
to also give us that input. I think the third is to look at this as a hearts and minds, carrot and stick kind of effort, and you can't have one without the other. If you're gonna motivate and embed accessibility into a company, then it can't just be a, a taskmaster kind of a job. There has to be some dividend to that. The way that we've done that is really by helping 140,000 nerds at Microsoft to really see the potential of accessibility as a way to innovate and create new futures. We've got a mission that's to empower every person, every organization, and accessibility just plays beautifully um, into that. And I, one example is our hackathons. Um, you know, we've been hacking for five years, and those hacks have now uh, grown. So this summer we had 1,900 people hacking on disability, uh, which is crazy. It's my favorite week of the year. And um, the actual grand prize winner, so out of sort of 3,000 hacks across Microsoft, was a hack on epilepsy. Um, and helping leveraging all of the beautiful goodness in AI right now um, and Azure and um, a whole bunch more to help us and help parents uh, as well as people with epilepsy uh, track that. And so I think there's just a wealth, uh, you know, I could talk for a long time, I'm going to stop, um, but I wish you just the best with the rest of the panel, with the rest of the session and uh, I'm with you in spirit uh, from the other side of the pond. Thanks. Jenny LaFleury, of course, from Microsoft there. And Robin, one of the takeaways for me anyway is uh, when she said that uh, the support that they have now uh, regarding accessibility and making products accessible, making software accessible, was something that wasn't always there. <laughs> I noticed that. interesting pick up on that, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's an acknowledgement that whilst they were first to the party, I would argue with Windows 3.1, you know, I've been using it since then. And obviously DOS before it was nice and accessible, but then it was just a character based interface, mm. a UI. Um, they kind of got, you know, went off steam uh, until recent years when they definitely built up that head of steam again. And you can see from what she said there, how much they prioritize it now. And obviously, in the pre-show, we heard some more from her and in the feed that's already gone in, um, the full interview with her. So, yeah, this was her message to delegates at the conference uh, at Tech Show Pro here. But, um, yeah, full commitment, full steam ahead from Jenny Leigh-Flurry and from Microsoft there. Should we switch sides now? Should we go from Microsoft to across the road? Yeah, so we've had head of accessibility at Microsoft. Let's have all-round superstar of accessibility at Apple, Sarah Herlinger. And she's going to be talking here about how important it is. This is obviously from a much bigger interview, guys. 25 minutes, this interview, that will drop in the feed coming soon. But this is the first, the first clip we're going to bring to you from Sarah is where she's talking about the importance of going into businesses and telling them about how crucial it is to think about accessibility. One of the reasons why I love the conference that we happen to be sitting at right now, you know, TechShare Pro is a great conference for uh, bringing the message to other companies. Um, you know, for us, we've always viewed accessibility as one of our core corporate values and a basic human right. So to 
get up in front of other companies and talk about not thinking about this as a compliance issue, but thinking about this as a customer issue and a human issue, I think is is important and something that I always appreciate doing. You know, on top of that, as you mentioned, is we are the, the sort of platform on, upon which many other companies build their products, you know, build applications and such to run. Um, it is also important that our company talks about accessibility. And so as we, you know, work with even our developer relations team on going out to talk to everybody who is making their own apps to run on our platforms, so that they understand the the basic APIs that we provide to make accessibility a seamless part of their design process, how to use the accessibility inspector in order to um, better, you know, to, to figure out where they may want to improve their accessibility along the way and, and whether they're doing all the proper things that they need to to make an app accessible. And then just talking to them about engagement with the communities as well. Um, I feel like that is something that I, I, I want to do a lot. I feel like we should be doing that in order to help other companies understand that big corporations care, that, you know, having a foundation of of ethics and morals and, and, you know, core corporate values really matters and accessibility is a huge part of that. And that's such an important message to send out there, isn't it, Robin? That yeah, you know, and it's we a, it's know. a caring company. <laughs> yeah, but they, they walk the walk, you know, yeah. it's very clear to everyone with a disability that Apple are, you know, if you, if you cut them in half, they say accessibility or inclusion right all the way through the middle. So yeah, it's brilliant. And a little bit later on in this interview, she goes on to talk about, you know, there's just the natural assumption within Apple and all the teams that people with disabilities are going to be using every last facet and feature of their products and services. One of our goals every year is to try and increase the the number of individuals or the communities that we support so that um, no one is left behind and more people have the opportunity to you know live productive, creative lives using our technology. So I think there's a lot in terms of looking at what are new types of assistive technologies to build. But then there's also just, you know, the fact that we are a consumer products company that's making really awesome technology for everyone to use. And as part of that process, we look at how does this apply for individuals with disabilities? How do we make sure that everything that every other engineer at Apple is creating is something that uh, works for individuals um, with a wide range of accessibility needs? You know, I think when you were talking about uh, some of the the way that we think about the design of our technology, um, instead of having a view of why would someone want to do this as a negative, it's why wouldn't someone want to do this? And so as we look at um, really any of the things that we create, it's there's there's never a limitation of, oh, someone with X disability would never want to do such and such. It's why wouldn't they? How do we figure out how to make that happen? How do we take this really cool thing and make it accessible to as many people as we possibly can. And that's the point. Every device, every piece of software has got accessibility built in at its core. You know, that is a question that Apple has clearly asked, which is, you know, why shouldn't it be there? Why wouldn't it be there? Really, really positive uh, discussion with Sarah. Of course, more on that interview to come, Robin. Yeah. And um, Stephen and I were grilling her, as I say, for, you know, 25 minutes. We asked about Apple Glass. We asked about AR and AI and where things were going. Did she answer? Well, you'll have to 
wait and find out. But yeah, really, really good stuff. Brilliant messages from all the big names in tech, and we're going to bring you lots more too. Okay, I think Addy Robin has managed to corner someone else to uh, find out their views on TechShare Pro. Hello, can you tell me who you are and um, what brings you here today? Hi Addy, I'm Heather Hepburn and I'm from Skyscanner and I'm the accessibility champion there so I'm really interested in everything that's going on today. And was there um, something that, that really stuck out for you today? Was there something like, ah, oh, I'm going to really learn from that and take it back into my role? Yes, there were a couple of things actually. The, the first speaker was so inspiring. Um, I, I loved what she was saying. Um, Caroline Casey, is that? Caroline, yeah. that was Caroline. She yeah, had a tear in my eye and she blew me away with her passion and her stories. I thought it was just it was a great way to start. Mm-hmm. I want to get in touch with Caroline and ask her to come speak to our CEO <laughs> for a start because I I at the moment I'm the, I'm the one with the most passion and I would love our organisation to hear it from someone else, someone like her. I think it would be really powerful. Um, and the lessons I learned at the end. I think the well, the thing that's sticking in my head right now is that you need to think about who you're talking to, and and this became very apparent to me this just this week when I was trying to get a meeting with our our head of brand, and I know I'm going to have to talk differently to her than I might have talked to other people. So yeah, it's all about knowing who you're talking to and knowing their motivations and appealing to those. So pressing their buttons in the right way, right? Pressing yeah. the right buttons. There's a lot, and you know, there's so much we can talk about with this. There's so many good things we can say about it, but it's knowing what to focus on for the different people according to their drivers. Um, and then the very last talk with, or the, the the panel about accessibility leadership, it's something that we're trying to really tackle hard at Skyscanner, and I wrote down almost every word that was said in that discussion, um, and I just actually can't wait to read it back and take some learnings from it. I was so intent of getting all the, getting as much out of that as I could. It was absolutely brilliant, and it was fabulous to hear from leaders in those areas and such brilliant organisations I thought I was was amazed that they were here I've not been here before I didn't know it was this kind of scale of event and I thought I was really impressed all round Thank you Heather, thank you so much I mean there's Heather telling us that she's an accessibility champion for Skyscanner, Robin. But of course, the challenge is even within the companies. Yes, you've got an accessibility champion there. But if no one else is listening, what can you do? I mean, let's contrast that interview that, you know, that that little um, the uh, piece where he's managed to have a chat with her there with the last two, which Mm -hmm. have full top to bottom commitment. And she's saying almost that she's a lone voice. So, yeah, come on, Skyscanner. You know, um, hopefully she'll be able to go back and get some traction there and employ, you know, leverage some of the contacts that she's made at this conference. But yeah, contrast that. Thanks, Addy. That was a, you know, that was really neat that he's just managed to grab that. And, uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's not the same, is it, in every organisation? Doesn't, doesn't, that, doesn't that show you, though, the value of this event? 
that, that you know, there you have a situation where Heather can hear from Caroline. She can go up and talk to Caroline and you hopefully get Caroline to go and speak yeah. to her CEO. And that can make, you think about the difference that could make down the line to all disabled people. If more of their services become more accessible and more available and the culture can change, you know, that one interaction could, can make a massive difference. Absolutely. And, you know, this ties in nicely with um, another of the sessions, um, the Carrots and Sticks panel session, expert panel that was chaired by RNIB's Eleanor Southwood, where, you know, some organisations, we all know about Domino's in the States recently, you know, they decided to fight against the requirement and they got hit by the biggest stick in the land over there, the Supreme Court. Um <laughs> yep. You know, we don't want Skyscanner to be uh, on the list of organisations that the new regulations over here, admittedly, they are for public sector only. But, you know, we're only going in one direction here, guys. Um, So, yeah, we talked to Ellie. Uh, She came in and uh, and gave us a really good interview as well, about a quarter of an hour long that obviously we'll put in the feed. And I asked her about whether the RNIB have any plans to ask the EHRC, the Equality and Human Rights Commission, who are going to be monitoring the websites of organisations and reporting on their inaccessibility and potentially leveraging fines, whether the RNIB plan on putting in a freedom of information request, which means that they could get the list and make it public. I think there is definitely an appetite within RNIB and a responsibility for us to start to be more proactive. We will always want to be led by what blind and partially sighted people tell us is important. So um, if we are working really collaboratively with an organisation who happen not to be compliant right now, we might hesitate before naming and shaming them in the interests of the sort of bigger prize. But certainly, and in principle, I don't think you know, I think that's absolutely something we should be doing more of, especially now the information will be more readily available. I think that's thing. absolutely it's not a naming and shaming exercise, but it kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the point, isn't it? That it is about, in some cases, naming and shaming, because that is how you make change in some cases. It is unfortunate that we have to do that. But it is sometimes necessary to make changes. I mean, we've all been naming and shaming dominoes plenty <laughs> over the past few months and, and, you know, quite rightly too. Yep, carrots and sticks. And I think mm. that brand damage, um, whilst obviously is, isn't important enough to dominoes, um, I think is very important to other organisations as well. So, yeah, absolutely. And now on that theme, we have another interview that, you and I, Stephen, did with uh, Marlin, who we heard from previously in the pre-event show and a full interview in the feed. We've now got her back after that expert Carrots and Sticks panel with Stuart Seaborn, whether in a really litigious country like America, like the States, the threat of the stick is what makes the difference. The one thing I'll say with a company like Domino's is it would not have done something uh, but for action in the courts. And there still are in, in you know, in the U.S., uh, we we hear about it every day. You know, our, our constituent groups and client groups are constantly informing us of folks uh, in terms of, of 
of companies uh, and even government entities that have the resources to make accessibility improvements. Um, they just need to educate themselves uh, and be willing to do so. So I, I feel like the stick is necessary. We've had to litigate several of these issues. Um, we're, we're trying other approaches, as I mentioned, the structured negotiations, which is essentially keeping it out of court. Um, but I feel like you need the stick uh, in addition to the carrots. I would love to see incentives um, for both companies and government entities kind of built into uh, some of the, the regulations uh, so that, the, you know, we're, we're working with, uh, you know, there's some kind of positivity that results when companies take action. Uh, I, I'm also uh, anxious to see statistics uh, when they evolve in terms of uh, the market power of the disability community. I feel like the more that that's out there and, and public, um, the better it will be to make that kind of carrot approach. I love the fact that they did it in Israel kind of without statistics first, um, and it worked. Uh, so I feel like that's something we can learn from. But I would like to see the development um, and, and furtherance of kind of studying how you can demonstrate the market share and market power uh, because you know the, the disability community is is is, is uh, both with its buying power and its size uh, probably much larger than a lot of these folks think uh, when they're doing their designs. That is a really good point that we finished with Stuart. There, it's really important to get some more case studies out there, some more hard stats on you know the improvement to the bottom line for organisations who make their websites and apps accessible. There isn't a lot out there. The RNIB did some research many years ago now where they tested a number, a large number of websites with both visually impaired and able-bodied users. And yes, the accessible sites were easier to use by visually impaired people. That's a no-brainer. That's that's why they were accessible. But the really interesting takeaway from it was that the control group of able-bodied testers actually were able to use those accessible sites more easily. On average, they were able to complete the tasks given on the accessible sites 35% more quickly. That is staggering. So you get a 35% usability bonus for every Mm. single user of your website. And I'm sure it's even more for apps because that's extreme computing, isn't it? Um, So yeah, I mean, that kind of thing, but we need a lot more of that. Now, uh, AbilityNet is a member of the One Voice on Accessible ICT partnership, uh, which includes a number of other IT organisations, the WCIT, the Worshipful Company of Information Technologists, that's the London Livery Company for IT professionals, and the British Computer Society, BCS, and IBM, and others like that. And a couple of years ago, we put together the ultimate business case for accessible IT. So... Um, if you just search for one voice, one word, ultimate business case, then you should get that. So there's a lot of useful information in there, but it's not that current. That was a few years ago now. So yeah, it'd be brilliant if we could get some really good, compelling case studies, because we know that it's going to affect the bottom line. There is significant ROI. We should up the carrots as well as the sticks. Robin, that is it for us for now, but we are back next week with another TechShare Procast. We'll be looking at even more uh, from TechShare Pro 2019. And, of course, lots more items to come, lots of full-length interviews to come in the feed. Yeah, watch this space, guys. Stay subscribed. Please tell your friends. Please uh, use the hashtag TechShare Pro 2019 and tell people about the Procast. Would really appreciate it. 
from me, Stephen Scott, to RNIB and Robin Christofferson at AbilityNet. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time.